conversations. Well, it seems we're back. The Med Conversations crew. It's Scott and Rahul here. Um, I, I want to lie to you and tell you that, you know, we're sorry that we don't make episodes more regularly. <laughs> it seems I do that at the start of every episode, then we wait a few months to do it. But it's going to be okay. boring now. You I know mean, what? We may never make another episode again. Maybe this is yeah. the last one. And we could have a good find out where kind of Beck and Davor have gone. Uh, kind of missing action for a few I'm months. I'm convinced they're still alive, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's So you're going to deal with us for now. Uh, and we're back. Make conversations back. We got our lovely theme song, as always. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about giant cell arteritis, also known as temporal arteritis. Previously, mm, yeah. Uh, what do you think of giant cell arteritis? Mm, I'd probably give it about six point six point five. Out of as a disease, I'd raise it yeah six to six point five. Yeah, it's certainly uh, not not <laughs> awesome. But it's not the worst disease. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not gout. <laughs> That's a straight ten. Yeah, it's Damn, drought. <laughs> So, yeah, so 6.5, that's a key thing to remember. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now let's move on to the case part <laughs> one. We've got Helga, a 72-year-old Norwegian who presented to the emergency department with a headache. She was dominating the tables down at the local bridge club with her partner Sven when she felt an increasing headache in her temple. Despite being millimetres away from locking down the tournament silverware for the first time in seven years, Sven agreed to forego the match and drive Helga to the emergency department. On the drive in, Helga gets a brief loss of vision in one eye. She gets a Seen briefly by an ED registrar and sent to short stay with a few neurofin on board to treat a presumed migraine. Little dig, just yeah. get it in there. Well, yeah, just, anyone you know. who wants to do ED <laughs> listening to this podcast, I want you to know how I feel about you. How, how do you how do you feel? Oh, I want, I want you to know, but I don't want to have to tell you. Okay, yeah. so just imply little digs just like that under the table dig, exactly. the best kind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so vasculitis, Scott. Can you throw me an inflammation? And by inflammation, I mean definition. <laughs> So vasculitis is inflammation of the blood vessel walls, which is resulting in damage. So there's a yeah. lot of different vasculitises. That's right. And so just th- that inflammation in the blood vessel walls eventually leads to the damage, which can result in bleeding and occlusion of the vessel, both of which, through one mechanism or the other, result in ischemia and necrosis in the area supplied by that vessel. And typically we classify the vasculitises by, or vasculitides by the size of the vessels that they affect. Uh, but there is some overlap in size, and some that are traditionally, say, large vessel vasculitises also affect medium vessels. So it's not a strict rule. Uh, and in terms of the large vessel vasculitides, uh, the two major ones are giant cell arteritis and Takayasu arteritis. And they, when we say large vessel vasculitis, they typically affect the aorta and its major branches for those little larger vessels. Some of the adva- uh, examples of could, could you throw me a medium vessel vasculitis, Scott? So polyarteritis nodosa, Kawasaki in kids? Yep. Uh, what about a small vessel vasculitis, Scott? So you've got some of the anchor-associated vasculitides, like microscopic polyangitis, mm-hmm. um, granulomatosis with polyangitis, the old ligands, former Nazi. Former Nazi. <laughs> I don't know if he's a former Nazi. I don't know if Wegner himself <laughs> has reformed, or whether we've just decided he needs to be written out of the history books. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. I think that's... Us that have reformed. It'd be uh, nice if you reformed <laughs> after death. Be, you know, anyway, yeah. post-mortem reformation. Um, <laughs> so, and then we got eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis, or churg strauss which is another one of these anchor-associated small vessel vasculitis. Uh, and then you got the immune complex small vessel vasculitis. So these are the ones that aren't anchor-associated. And that's cryoglobulinemic vasculitis and IgA vasculitis. Maybe don't worry too much about remembering all of those, because I remember in med school they were incredibly... I didn't bother them. So I forego this vasculitis as a whole topic. Yeah. Did but you learn how to say the word vasculitis? I still just alternate. Yeah. Yeah. Draw, drew the line there. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So today we're going to be talking about a specific example of a large vessel vascularized, which is giant cell artery. Yeah, and I guess the other important thing there is it also does affect some kind of medium and sometimes some smaller vessels mm. as well. Yeah, there's a bit of overlap. Yeah. So it was previously known as temporal arteritis, and that's because it does affect the branches of the aorta, which include the branches of the carotid, uh, one of which is the temporal artery. And the most feared complication of giant cell arteritis is visual loss. That's because you get ischemia to your eyeball, to your retina in particular, because the blood vessels that supply are inflamed. But there are also some pretty feared complications that go along, a bit more rare, but feared complications that go along with it. What do you think they might be, Scott? So we talked about the giant cell arteritis. So you get an aortitis and you get a secondary rupture, an aortic aneurysm. Um, and I, like we've chatted in a lot of other podcasts about, you know, the whole inflammation thing, the cardiomyopathy, myocardial infarctions, you can also get strokes. Mm. They're all potential um, complications Yeah, so strokes, well. problems with the aorta and problems with the heart. In terms of epidemiology, giant cell artery is actually the most common systemic vasculitis, and there's a lifetime risk of 1% in women, and slightly lower in men at 0.5%. And the greatest risk factor by far is aging. It pretty much never occurs before 50, and your median onset is about 70, median age of onset. Other risk factors are Scandinavian ethnicity, like our friends Svelga, Svelga? Sven and Helga. Sven. That's Sven. their couple names. Yeah. Sven's a great bridge player name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine him having wearing like bridge player gloves that help him maneuver <laughs> cards better. I'm not sure if that's a big part of the game. It seems like something Sven would Imagine they'd be like Mickey Mouse ones with like white gloves. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, and uh, GCA is associated with this other disease called polymyalgia rheumatica. And that's a condition that's characterized by aching and morning stiffness in the shoulder girdle, so the shoulders uh, and sort of around the neck. Uh, and also sometimes in the hips, and that's due to synovial inflammation. PMR is a bit of an unknown condition, and how PMR and GCA are linked is also a bit unknown. Some people think that they're the same disease, just expressed differently. Some people think they're a spectrum of disease. Some people think they're two different diseases that are closely related. It's, it's hot stuff in rheumatology. Mm. So. Well, according to up to date, it's unsettled. An unsettled question. And that yeah. itself is unsettling. Yeah. Just don't know the answer. yeah, they don't know, as yeah. smart as they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of numbers here, I'm a numbers guy. Let me throw you some numbers. Uh, PMR occurs in 50% of patients with GCA. So people presenting with GCA, if you look back, they may have had PMR in half of them. But GCA only develops in about 15% of people with PMR. Um, so, yeah. In terms Good of numbers. Great numbers. Yeah. <laughs> A little morning stiff myself. <laughs> um, GCA causes inflammation in the artery wall, as we said, and it's predominantly the inflammation is mediated by these CD4 positive T helper cells, which sort of attract macrophages using all of their signals. And once the macrophages get there, they start a big macrophage party. And you know what we call that? <clears throat> right? um, no. <laughs> what do you call that, Doctor Muthalele? Love how dramatically that was. <laughs> I've actually been trying to <laughs> look for an opportunity to clear my throat for about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, no, no, thought I'd use that. It's a fast-paced podcast. Yeah. It's no <laughs> whether you're listening or whether you're podcasting. Um, so essentially, the activated macrophages all come together and they coalesce and form granulomas, which are seen as giant cells. They look like one big giant cell under the microscope. Um, and those big giant cells then produce a whole bunch of growth factors, which results in the tissue around the macrophages, i.e. all the vessel tissue, growing bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually it just blocks off the vessel. And that causes these ischemic complications of disease we will talk about, have been talking about. We don't really know why it starts. Uh, we don't know what the triggering agents are. 
And so we got a little bit of work to do. If you're out there looking for a hot VMED side, maybe you can just crack the case on GCA. Yeah, it's a big one. Or you can do some retrospectives and we'll study. Giant fish out there. So in terms of like the commonly involved vessels, it's the cranial branches of the carotid arteries, which of which the temporal arteries are one. So to summarize the pathophysiology, essentially you get an inflammatory infiltrate in the arterial wall. We don't really know why this happens, and it's mainly macrophages that form giant cells. So let's go back to our case, to Helga. You, an aspiring rheumatologist currently stuck in ED shortstay, decide to pay closer attention to Helga's headache given her stoic Swedish roots. When questioning, Helga states that she was unable to get down the hospital sandwiches owing to intense pain in her jaw. The rheumatological hairs on your neck begin to bristle in the brisk, overly air-conditioned winds of an apathetic ED shortstay unit. So you add on a few bloods and you wait patiently, patiently for your chance to shine. Clinical features, Scott, of giant cell arteritis. Let's talk about it. All right, here we go. Um, so the onset, um, Scott, what do you think of the onset of BCA? How would um, you rate it? I'd, well, um, I'd probably, maybe 6.2. Yeah, it's not um, as, as a whole, but it so, makes up in other ways. <laughs> so typically subacute, but it can also be acute. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about symptoms, we're starting off thinking about general, non-specific constitutional symptoms. In terms of the big categories, we got, we got those general non-constitutional uh, symptoms. Yep. We've got a headache. We've got jaw claudication, which is pain whilst eating, and we've got visual loss, which can be sort of transient or permanent, and then some stuff that's related to the large vessel. We'll talk about later. But let's talk about those constitutional symptoms first. So what, what does that include? So some of the key ones are a fever, sometimes really high, even over 39 degrees, and they can have kind of fatigue and weight loss in different ways as well. Yeah, and in an older person, that can sometimes be the only thing they present with. But then I guess the classic part of it is the headache, and that happens in you know, two-thirds of patients. And it's fairly non-specific sort of headache, aside from they get a tenderness of the scalp to touch. So sometimes they'll say, when I was combing my hair, it really hurt. Mm, it's um, a classic MCQ yeah. little, yeah, yeah. little tidbit there. comes in, older Swedish Combies lady there. comes in, yeah. she's been combing her hair. Uh, so it localizes over the temple sometimes, but can also be over the frontal, occipital, and generalized. So it's not too specific. Now, jaw claudication, Scott. What can you tell me about that? So jaw claudication is the rapid onset of severe pain when they start to chew. And that's due to ischemia in the maxillary artery, which supplies some of those muscles there. Yeah. Um, and I think about 50% have jaw claudication. Is that right? That's right. And there's some people, there's an article in the New England Journal of Medicine, blog, and I think it was a case report about someone who was, used, they used a chewing gum test. So they give them a bit of chewing gum, and if they get pain, you can time how long it is they get pain, and that's a reasonably specific sign of temporal arteritis. Great. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's got to carry chewing gum <laughs> all the time. Already got it, mate. I've already got my little... Physicians examination pack ready. <laughs> you chewing gum. Same bit of chewing gum. You could do like a bubble gum test too to see if they can blow out their cheeks. <laughs> so handy, handy. It's it. really an essential part of a physician's <laughs> toolkit. Um, surgeons think scalpels are cool. We got to use chewing gum. <laughs> you stick it to our shoes. <laughs> um, Store it down there. Yeah. <laughs> so the other one of the other clinical features is visual loss. And actually, as we we're speaking, I had a patient today who we treated for giant cell arteritis, um, who had transient visual loss, which is also known as amaurosis fugax. Mm. One of those probably unnecessary terms in medicine, but it makes yeah. us feel pretty cool. Yeah. So can you tell me what amaurosis fugax actually is, Scott? So it's transient monoocular or biocular binocular <laughs> visual loss. Why isn't it binocular, so, though? I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's the classic thing you heard about in med school, like the curtain coming down with a sudden... Yes, yeah. and the guy who I treated for GCA today actually said 
came back and apropos of nothing, said it's like a curtain coming down over my eyes. So, wow. Love it when it lines up. Like there that. you go. And it can also be caused by other conditions as well. Yeah. Not just caused by GPA. Um, in terms of, so that's the transient visual loss, but obviously we are a little bit more concerned about permanent visual loss and it's painless and sudden. Um, and it can be partial or complete, unilateral or bilateral. And about one-fifth of gonzalitis arteritis patients end up losing their vision, even in the modern era. Pretty bad. Yeah, and it, it's due usually to this thing called ION, which is anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, uh, and basically an occlusion of the ciliary, ciliary artery, and you get this yeah, ischemic, your, your optic nerve just dies. It's a bad nerve to die. Yeah. Uh, now, there's this other sort of segment of GCA, which is the large vessel giant cell arteritis. Do you know much about that, Scott? So, like we were talking about before, I think you've got, you know, this aortitis and um, inflammation of the aorta. Mm. And then I think you can have, that, that can be complicated by an aortic aneurysm or a rupture or an aortic dissection. That's right. As yeah. I understand. So, that's pretty severe stuff. And so, if, if it affects, and it can affect the aorta and its major branches, like the common carotid and the subclavian. Um, you get all of those sort of things. And I had this guy I treated on you know, just today had critical stenosis of his left subclavian artery and his common carotid artery, which looked like it had actually been there for a while. So he may have had like a grumbling disease process. That sort of so how did you work out, um, Dr. Ruffle, that, ah, he, that well, he had that noticing, going on? Noticing the presentation, I, of course, went straight to the radio radial delay. Oh, uh, wow. So yeah, obviously, I check it in every patient. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Key part of the physical examination. Um <laughs> So yeah, he had a radio radio delay, the first I'd ever felt. And I was actually thought it wasn't there because I was like, ah, I've never felt this before. There's no way this guy I'm feeling it in. But yeah. Um, so these things exist. And you see people with this large vessel involvement, so GCA, tend to be younger, have don't have the headache as much, and they tend to more likely to present with arm claudication. I guess you know, that differential list you have for arm claudication, which I'm sure is extensive, Scott, had large vessel GCA. There we go. Uh, now, it can also involve the central nervous system, uh, and so you could get a stroke, but it's not that common, and actually happens more in the vertebra basilar system, which is your posterior circulation. So you get stuff like vertigo, ataxia, dysarthria, and cortical blindness. So just to recap... Cortical blindness. Cortical blindness. That's a good one. Yeah. Anton syndrome. Yeah, Bilateral. that's right. Go that's rewatch right. the Star Wars Stroke Episodes podcast. Oh, is that in there? I don't know. Yeah, I don't listen to our own podcast. Hey, I've listened to that one like three or four times. <laughs> I don't I don't see our podcast to be of high enough quality to waste my time. I'm yeah. glad it was. Well, you know, this. you're the kind of physician who checks for radio radio delay, yeah, so fine. you've got no time to waste for anything. <laughs> <Yeah. that's> just... <laughs> so run us through the clinical features. Clinical features again here, Scott. Just some quick some history stuff. So what, what are the main things that people present with? So we talked about them as with constitutional symptoms, fever, headache, jaw claudication, and vision loss. The main yeah, ones. those are probably the main ones. Now, in terms of the physical examination, obviously the first thing you do is run straight and feel the radio radial delay. Yeah. There's nothing else to be done. Um, but yeah, you should check the pulses in all the major like arteries. So what would they be? So you know, we can check for a radial pulse, we can check a carotid pulse, a brachial pulse, a femoral pulse, fetal pulses. Mm. All the fine yeah, arteries, yeah. Pulse everywhere. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you also want to feel the temporal arteries. So they are located in, in the temples. And they can be either like palpable because they're thickened because of all this like vascular hyperplasia, or they can be tender. Uh, and they also may have absent temporal artery pulses because they've experienced so much occlusion already that there's no blood going through them. Now there's the brewery. Have you ever heard of the brewery, Scott? 
I've heard things. <laughs> I think there may have been breweries. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I've ever confidently heard a brewery um, ever, and we'll leave it at that. But you uh, you want to listen to breweries over a lot of those same arteries, so the carotid, auxiliary. Nice thought, just getting your death scope right into someone's auxiliary area, just jam it up into their armpit and have a good look at that. Then use it to check someone. It's <laughs> just later. We never talk about how dirty our stethoscopes are. We yeah. never do that. Stethoscopes and phones. Yeah, yeah. just phones. Yeah, yeah. just terrible. Um, I should, the amount of time I put my phone up someone's armpit. <laughs> <laughs> just get it in there. Yeah. Well, since they become ultrasound devices as yeah, well, they're yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Um, so you want to listen for a brewery? It's <laughs> the key point. Yeah, key point. <laughs> we may have heard them before. That's what's the takeaway. And then you were listening to the heart. Um, there's murmurs of aortic regurgitation, which would be associated, obviously, if you had an aortopathy. And Scott, quick question: What's the murmur of aortic regurgitation? Put you on the spot here in front on the air. Oh, it's, a, it's tough coming from a radio radio man, but uh, I'll go in. So it's kind of an early diastolic murmur, mm-hmm. and that would be left. Lower sternal edge. That's right. Yeah, there, it's, actually, it's, it's in the tricuspid area. Yeah. Places. Um, so, and then you've got the eyes, and you need to look in the eyes of all people with GCA because they can get either local retina ischemia related to those artery being blocked, blocked off, which manifests as cotton wool spots in a nice medical school term, or they can get this ion, like anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, and they get a swollen, pale disc that loses its fluid margin. Another thing that I'm not convinced exists: the optic disc. Yeah. <laughs> fact, fact or fiction? <laughs> well, this is a bad one because we actually had a patient present with um, uh, intracranial hypertension and they were discharged from ED with a diagnosis of migraine mm, and went to an optometrist who looked at their um, <laughs> looked in their pupils yeah, and saw that they had bilateral papilledema. So I, mean, it seems I think like it's pretty important, important, thing important for us yeah. to be able to do. And something that we're all like, yeah, well, don't bother learning that. But you yeah. could save someone's life slash vision with that. Yeah, it'd be a good skill to develop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we've all, we're all already yeah, past excellent stage. at it. Yeah, we're oh, just so pretty so much yeah, op- ophthalmologists now. <laughs> <laughs> For other people to develop, yeah, obviously. Yeah, you guys yeah. listening to it, you need to be better at this. Um, okay, so, yeah, really you want to feel the arteries everywhere. It's essentially a big part of the examination. And if you happen to have a piece of chewing gum stuck to your shoe, get it in there. Just <laughs> pop it in there now. That's the other notice. So let's move on to the part three of the case. Um, Helga, her ESR comes back at a do-whopping 120, and she has a CRP of 97. She also has a thrombocytosis on the FTE, and so you immediately call your consultant and deliver your suspicions. You lament not having done anything earlier. You also run into the room to examine Helga's vision and breathe a sigh of relief when she tells you she can see the four fingers you're waggling 10 centimeters away from your nose. 2020, good to hear. That's 2020. <laughs> um, so, investigations for GCA. Now, the diagnosis of GCA should not be based on symptoms alone. I think that's kind of key. Um, is it that key? Probably not. It's, it's one of the keys. It's reasonable. Yeah, there's it's a, a lot key. of keys. This it's is a key. key. It's, one, it's your spare key, maybe. Yeah. This podcast is like a janitor's key ring. It's just full of keys <laughs> and clanking around in your pocket. A little uncomfortable yeah. having your keys around here. Yeah, and you can't really remember what they're all for. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of dubious purpose. Yeah. Like it's, who knows? Some of them probably don't do anything. They open doors. Um, so let's talk about the FBE, Scott. What's on the FBE in GCA? So I think they can have a um, thrombocytosis. Mm-hmm. And they can also have a um, normocytic anemia as well. Yeah, that's right. And But the white blood cells are usually normal. Yeah, so the anemia is sort of related to anemia of inflammation, side and upregulation, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the white cells, 
I think it's interesting the white cells don't really go up despite them having ragingly high CRPs and ESRs. Pretty useful in a PUO kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. It took me, we had exactly that and took me a week to diagnose it. Until he was basically losing his vision and I was like, no, what? <laughs> the curtain, the curtain. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> vision like a curtain going <laughs> down. Yeah. Uh, the ESR and CRP are like the ones that classically are used to diagnose GCA or to sort of hint towards GCA. Um, and the characteristic, you know, I think for med student MCQs, they always give you an ESR that's like over 100. But in actual fact, the ESR sometimes is not so high. It's less than 50. And in 4% of patients, they actually have a normal ESR and CRP, which is used to diagnose particularly difficult. Mm. Um, chest X-ray, Scott? Yeah, so you want to look at the mediastinum, check that they don't have any kind of dilations of their ascending aorta, like mm. we talked about. And you could also use a CT angiogram or an MR angiogram to better look at it. Um, and kind of whether you screen everyone with kind of temporal disease for that aorta is a bit controversial mm. from what I've read in. Controversy-filled topic, isn't it? Yeah, up to date. They're mm. just like sitting on the fence on all these issues. I think um, once they sort a few of them out, maybe we can upgrade from 6.5 to like... Mm. They put in a request for a 7.5. Oh, yeah, so yeah, like, oh, oh, we can go straight yeah, there. We'll I mean, you know, later. That's a bit uh, of a jump. It's <laughs> <laughs> reasonable here. Uh, so clinching the diagnosis of GCA really requires that you need histopathological evidence, i.e. a biopsy, what comes going on, or highly suspicious imaging exam to, to explore it. And where do we get that biopsy or histopathology from? So clue is in the name. So it's a temporal artery biopsy. So they do, they take out one to two centimetres um, to improve the diagnostic accuracy. Because as we talked about before, it can be, you can have kind of skip areas not affected and other parts affected in the, in the arteries. And sometimes they even do um, bilateral temporal artery biopsies. That's right. Yeah. So we did bilateral temporal artery biopsies on a guy today. This actually worked out pretty well for that manifestation. Today. Yeah, it was today. today. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what a really high index. Are you on rheumatology? No. What do you want? Med- med- general medicine. Wow. Yeah. The podcast gods. Yeah. Aka <laughs> <laughs> okay, double. Double the podcast god? He's up there. He's, he knows he where he is these days. Um, his return. So, yeah, essentially you can do, you do these biopsies and they're positive for two weeks even after starting steroids. So you don't necessarily, it's not one of those diseases where you really want to wait to get the biopsy before you start any treatment. If they, if they need it, you give it to them. We'll talk about that later. And then in terms of large vessel GCA, Scott, how would you how would you diagnose that? So GCA that's affecting the aorta and all those big branches. Yeah, so as we talked about before, you know, you can do the CT angiogram, the MRI angiogram, MRI, even do PET scan. PET scan. And yeah. you can also do some imaging of the temporal arteries as well with a kind of yeah. and thing, but it's not, still not as good. Not, as yeah. the, I think you need um, to be a fairly experienced center for a good yield. Uh, and on those on those imaging modalities, you can see concentric wall thickening of the vessels, stenosis and dilations in the, the vessels, and even edema using MRI within the of the actual vessel. Okay, so let's go on to the case part four. Your consultant asks you to call the rheumatology registrar immediately. You wake the registrar who almost immediately knows why she's being called. The only reason ever, anyone ever calls her on a night shift, GCA. Uh, so she, comm- she commends you on your Arthur Conan Doyle-like perception and says she's radio, on radio. radio. Well yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> call me the young, tanned Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, <laughs> that's what that Scott's like. Yeah, one day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's on her way to the like, hospital. I can call you that. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, ACD. Um, so on arrival, she confirms his suspicion and starts Helga on 1,000 milligrams, also known as a gram, of <laughs> intravenous <laughs> methylprednisolone. So, talk me through management of GCA. 
Mm. Well, the first first thing you understand is kind of how many milligrams you're to gram. That's kind of the key point. Excellent. But other once you've <laughs> another key, look at that. <laughs> another key. Easter egg. Temporal, yeah, temporal arteries. Mm. Um, so high dose glucocorticoids are kind of the mainstay of therapy. And when you're worried about vision loss and there's visual symptoms, you want to give them pulse therapy intravenously straight away. Um, you do, as we talked about before, you don't need to withhold treatment while waiting for a temporal artery biopsy. But obviously, if it's kind of a very low suspicion case. In chatting with the rheumatologist, you can talk about delaying it for a little while um, until you've got a confirmed diagnosis um, without any eye signs. But, uh, and, you know, in kind of refractory disease or other cases, sometimes they use other steroid sparing agents like um, um, tocilizumab, or, which is an anti-interleukin-6 mm. monoclonal antibody, or methotrexate, a few other ones as well. Yeah. They're not used very much. Yeah, probably most people, I think, do respond to just high-dose steroids, and it's really... Keeping them at a very high dose for quite a while, you know, somewhere between two and eight weeks, four to eight weeks, and uh, then you taper over six to 12 months. So you do have to think, for example, we started this guy now on high dose steroids. So this should be the case. I don't know why I made up the Helga and spend anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, we started him on some high dose steroids. We actually were recommended to put him on some PJP prophylaxis, which is pneumocystis cherubiciae prophylaxis. Um, so that forms you know, Bactrim to prevent him from getting unusual infections because it's quite a long time of immunosuppression with steroids. Uh, now, what's one of the things that can happen when you, you've got someone on this long pool of steroids? So, patients can relapse. So, um, uh, that's why this, it's kind of a long-term, you know, most patients will be on steroids for kind of over a year, I think. Yeah. Um, and you'll try and taper them if you can, because obviously there's a lot of side effects from steroids. But if you can't, you might need to keep them on a high dose. You might need to bring the dose back up again. You might even need to add on one of the other Agents. kind of, you know, Dangerous sounding chemotherapy yeah, agents. Yeah, that's that's not good for you. <laughs> you want to meet that guy in an alleyway later at night. Got a rapey side to him. <laughs> Although to be fair, as familiar as steroids are, it's important to remember that you know they've actually got as many side effects as a lot of these very dangerous sounding chemotherapy yeah, agents. Old, your friendly prednisone. Yeah. Guy next door, he still carries a knife. <laughs> just because you can say his name I'm like you know have a 60 mad doesn't mean he can't hurt you uh, so what are some of the risks of glucocorticoid therapy and I think this is a great list to remember as a medical student just in general because it's one of those things that everyone tests and, and that you see really as a, and as a doctor Max, <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a budding radial radial examiner <laughs> so the, the ones they talk about a lot are osteoporosis um, infection, obviously, hypertension, weight gain, diabetes, uh, mellitus. Um, they can also get cataracts, GI bleeding. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, all that, lot of stuff. that beautiful stuff. Yeah, um, bad stuff. Bad stuff. Uh, so fifth part of the case, two years down the track, you are covering as the rumor trial. Look how you've progressed in your career. So good on you. Uh, yeah, wow, what a surprise. You coming do. from that background. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You're sitting in a lazy Monday afternoon clinic ballroom clinics, and a name appears on your list, Helga Largensen, mm. of the Largensen clan, Northern <laughs> Norway, very well-renowned clan. Yeah, a lot of clans in Norway. Known for wolf hunting. <laughs> <laughs> and large sons. Yeah. <laughs> so, Helga potters into the room, maneuvering herself with a four-wheel frame. I'm not sure you can oh. potter with a four-wheel frame. Can you potter? Pottering yeah. seems like something that you don't need a mobility aid to do. It's not like it's a wheel. swaggering wheel. Your wheel, your hobble. A hobble would be. Dawdle. That's bad. Perambulate. Yeah, there you go. She perambulates into the room with a four wheel frame. 
Uh, and she tells you she responded beautifully to the steroid, but unfortunately developed osteonecrosis before the fifth six months of therapy and had a fracture. Wow, steroids. Had to just, friendly prednisolone. had to fuck with her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, had, had to, to make her yeah. get something bad. There are no beautiful <laughs> stories in life. That's the real key <laughs> of this podcast. It's the, the key of all keys. <laughs> the master key. Life is bad. <laughs> Skeleton key, if you will. <laughs> We're all here just suffering. It's the myth of Sisyphus. Don't buy into this. Yeah. Anyway, back to the podcast. Um, just come back for a routine <laughs> follow-up. And you're pleased to tell her that her ERC and CRP are normal, and she tells you she's had no more symptoms of GCA. You give yourself a pat on the back, one, for listening to this podcast. Which is all the keys. Yeah, yeah, you got all the keys. And two, for saving Helga's life. So what's the prognosis? Also, get making it easier for Frank. Yeah. But <laughs> you don't give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, no, that. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave that to the side. Exactly. Leave, leave that over there. Certainly don't pat her on the back. <laughs> we're not break the vertebrae. So he's not already depression <laughs> yeah, factors in there. has anything left in there. Yeah. He's just a spine full of dust. Bone dust. Yeah. <laughs> Bony compressive dust. Yeah. <laughs> As we all go to dust. Yeah. That's the other yeah, kind of key. Learning another point. key. There we are. Dust to dust, <laughs> ashes to ashes. Where should you be? So, what's the prognosis of GCA, Scott? <laughs> As a, despite our kind of pretty depressing conversation, the prognosis is actually very good. Yeah. If you treat GCA appropriately, um, most patients have a pretty kind of pretty much normal life expectancy. Yeah, they may get the side effects of the prednisolone you give them, but they. The world's survival is normal unless they rupture their aorta, which is not associated with a long or happy life. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. Yeah, not associated with full frames either. No, yeah, aortic true. ruptures. Yeah. They usually. Uh, you tell me which life you'd rather have. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's. We kept a time on that one, Scott. Uh, wow. ish, ish. Ish. I mean, we don't have a set time for these podcasts. Maybe write to us. Uh, oh, by the way, thank you, to, thank you for listening if you've gotten this far. Thank you to all of you who have written into us on the Facebook page. We do actually, it gives me a little pang of enjoyment. Yeah, we, we're really excited. Every time I see a message from you guys, it sort of says, you like me and you don't like Scott and you wish we'd keep him out of the It's really nice. Keep writing. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make me feel particularly good, <laughs> but, you know, I'm used to those kind of rejections. So, yeah. So, since, yeah. Since they don't. Anything that'll give, you know, Raul stiffness, I'm, I'm happy with. Yeah, you're in for yeah. It's worth it. So keep writing to us. Maybe tell us what you think the ideal podcast episode length is, or maybe rate the diseases. Send us a list of your ranked diseases. We'll take that. Yeah, we've got a numbers van here. So. <laughs> some, some very specific some numbers. numbers. I like granular detail. What's in at number four? Uh, number four for me? Mm. Ooh, I do like reactive arthritis. Something okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four's a pretty bad number. Well, that's that's lower than six point five. Four's oh, like, I sorry, I thought you meant yeah, number four. What's my fourth favorite disease? Oh no, no. You didn't ask me why I like reactive arthritis. I share with people. Why do you like reactive arthritis? It's got it's the double threat because it both involves. <laughs> it's a funny disease that involves urethritis most of the time first. Because urethritis is always funny. <laughs> always. Uh, and it was named after a Nazi, and now we're trying to pretend it doesn't. It wasn't a Nazi. Like Ryder, who's Ryder? No, that's not never been part of the medical terminology. What are you talking about? This is a urethritis, serious business. <laughs> Nazis. It's a great so your two favourite things, your urethra and Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is sorry, sorry for the whole end of this podcast. This is derailed. But, um, <laughs> all right, right into us. Um, and we hope to be making more of you soon, but I'm not going to make any more empty promises. You know, you know, yeah. I, you know, something might come. And, you know, if you keep writing into us, maybe Beck and Darvel will come back and you won't have to put up with these, like, minute-long rambles about... Yeah. Maybe, but the maybe we'll just life. also come to Beck and Darvel's podcast to try and ruin them. So. Yeah. Who knows? 
All right, that's the last key for the session. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>